I'm Kyle Bushland, and you're listening to NIS Voices, where we bring you inspiring stories about learning, community, news, and more from Nanjing International School. We're here with very special guest, Ewan McIntosh, founder and CEO of Notosh. Notosh, of course, is the global consultancy that enables schools to think differently and be the best they can be. Ewan is a highly regarded keynote speaker at events around the world, as well as an author with extensive experience in education. Joining us as well as our school director, Laurie McClellan. Welcome. Thank you so much for the welcome. A pleasure to be invited. Great to be here. Let's talk strategy. Years ago, NIS worked with Notosh to create our transformative and innovative school strategy. Today, it's the award-winning approach to everything that we do. Why is strategy so important for a school? When you think about how school finishes, what happens? Students get exam results and they go to universities. And it's probably the most publicized aspect of what happens in that entire journey. Um, and I think strategic planning is, is caught in the same thing. It's all about the last result of the last thing. A list, a bit like a curriculum that you work your way through, you do practice exams, which is the bits that you do here, there and everywhere. And in that, some of the students forget about the ideas and the concepts they've been studying and are too stuck in the stuff. And I think schools as organisations start ticking boxes of we built that, we moved that over there, we did this or that thing. And they just don't move out. They don't move out and look and try and understand what the big things are that help you to get to achieving yeah. your mission. The world is much better now, but 10 years ago, there's such reticence to ask people if they are not educators that they knew. So people with broader experience in other media, other other areas, uh, where because strategy is important to the private sector uh, in the same way as it is to the not-for-profit and for schools. And that's what led me to search outside. I think also the the challenge we had was uh, we actually came to I came on a trip to Nanjing after an abortive uh, trip to another school where we, we got fired um, for suggesting that their strategic plan might not be a great thing, that it might not be what they needed. It was a, a funny experience in a way because I looked at this, it was a 72 page laundry list of actions, um, really comforting for the people who wrote it, but totally not on the front of the minds of anyone who had to actually put it into practice, because no one can remember 72 pages of action points. And when I came down, I, was, um, I met with uh, Laurie and, and the board chair, Julia, and the board chair pulled out this plan. She said, well, the one thing we don't want is something like this. And it was the same plan that I'd just been criticising the month the month before. <laughs> so I knew I had found my kindred spirits. And the interesting thing is that we didn't have um, we didn't have a recipe. We still don't have to say we didn't have a recipe that we were kind of shipping. You know, a lot of people and I think the distaste maybe for using outside help Laurie was, was quite daring in a way to do that, but there is a distaste, I think, in going outside your school because there's maybe an implication that, uh, you know, we're not smart enough to do it ourselves or we don't have a process or we've not done the MBA or whatever. But actually, the, the, the advantage of coming to someone who's um, 
who's not got a particular methodology to ship is that you can then negotiate, you know, what do you want? And I think that the number one question for a school thinking about strategy is not to think about the planning bit so much. The planning bit is arguably the most useless part of it because the plans change, as you all know. Um, I don't know what plans you had this time three years ago. I'm pretty sure you didn't see them through. So the planning bit is not as useful as the strategy part. And strategy is dead easy. It's basically asking, what do you want? What's the promise you want to keep to yourself? And then what are you going to do to make that happen? And do you have the right people in the right places to do it? And have you set yourself up with the right systems to make that work easy over the long term? That's it. It's, we always talk about five questions. Uh, and interestingly, we didn't talk about these five questions when we first worked with Nanjing International School because we didn't have that in mind, but we've learned a lot in, in the last seven, eight years or so. Um, so yeah, what do you want? What are you going to do? One or two things, no more than that. That was one thing we got right in Nanjing as well, is that we really focused on just, I mean, I was pushing for one thing and we ended up with two. Put student voice and choice at the centre of everything we do and burst the bubble, this bubble of being an international school in China. And what was I think the, the biggest smile on my face was when at the end of one kind of strategic planning phase and Laurie and the board were heading into a second one and said, yeah, we're not done with those yet, so we're going to keep them. But we're, we're going to change the approaches that we, we use to, to realise them. And that's where you realise you've got the right kind of plan, ambitious goals, uh, teams doing great work, um, adjusting with the context and the times as you go, but ultimately keeping that promise in mind. What was the process that you guys went through? It was community-based. And I think community-based means you, you're asking people to be honest. That's maybe the painful part because some of it wasn't, uh, you know, it's no one likes to see stuff that's not um, beautiful and, and self-reinforcing and telling you you're doing a great job. So there are a few things that came out that um, you kind of thought, gosh, that's work that, that we need to do pretty urgently. Uh, but there were some gems in there as well. And in fact, the student voice and choice stuff came from some quite painful points that said, you know, we, we feel ignored sometimes. But I don't think you'd find many students saying that today uh, because their their voices, even from what I see on, on Twitter, uh, from a kindergarten class, you can see that student voice is at the centre of their day. I think the pain for me is that, you know, we set up the nest, we spoke to people for, and it was right in the centre of the school, very accessible. And people were in there frequently. They could leave anything they wanted really. They could leave video, photo, they could just write things up. There were whiteboards, there were clipboards. You could pin words or, or you could use stickies. It, it really didn't matter. It's just so much information to mm. try and find cohesive ideas coming through. And it was great because we gave people the right to go in and put things together that they thought were related and maybe give them a title. And you could see things kind of moving around, but themes definitely came through. I think the whole sort of design thinking methodology, the, the, the idea that you're not on a linear path that you're going through and you're correcting and rethinking and, and that you keep on asking. Here's an important thing. Don't ask people if you're not going to listen to what they say. Yeah, they know that it's patronizing, it's unfair, and it puts people off contributing in the future because they just think, what's the point? 
But people also had to know that a lot of stuff has to become a small amount of stuff. And we weren't going to do 72 pages. So we weren't going to stick your little bullet point in there to be achieved and ticked off. The last session, I'll never forget it. I mean, we had two senior students and they were talking about how much pressure it is being oh, yeah. in, in the last year at school. And I asked the question, which now seems quite naive, but at the time, and I said, so why don't you tell your teachers? And they said, this is nothing to do with our teachers. This is the culture we have created for ourselves. And we kept trying to look in instead of being at their level and looking out from their eyes. So it, it was they contribute to the culture of expectation as well. It wasn't just mm -hmm. the teachers. And that was that was quite a revelation. And at the time, Laurie had been you'd been reading um, up on some I've forgotten the name of the the author. It was a piece of academic literature about keeping certain things loose and other things tight. You were talking about um, really going through in your own head. I think working out where do I actually have to try and keep some control of things to have that direction and to be accountable as well because it's a you know it, it is a big organisation. Um, and where can where can we afford actually to give up a, a little bit of that control because the result's going to be 10 times better? And um, I think that there was a desire to work all that out in advance, you know, as you print the final documentation, but a realisation that was never going to work. It was never going to be feasible to work out where you're going to hold on tight. And, and I think it took probably the best part of three or four years even before you get to a point where you realise um, actually nothing's happened in some of these domains that we had let go a bit loose. We wanted to be inclusive and let people pick up the reins and run with them, but without direction, it wasn't going to happen. And so there's, we, we've, I think since then as well, we've, we've, people often get in touch with us to say, yeah, we need a strategic plan. And they think that as soon as the board have signed off whatever piece of paper we, we pulled together, that's it. And we've had to really push quite hard and sometimes we've been pushed back, but we've had to push quite hard to stay on the journey with them as they launch that strategy and as they go through their first sprint of action. And I'll give you an example. is one school where you know, we came out with a plan, the board approved it, and then they, they had uh, not really thought about, about changing up the way that they implemented it. So the way that they implemented ideas was simply it was the same as when I was at school. Um, the head teacher tells everyone, this is what we're going to do. These are the working groups. You've all been assigned to one. Off you go. Terrible way to, to get action done because you don't know if the right people are on the right seat. You don't know if they're enthusiastic about the idea that they've been given. So the strategy on paper looked great, but the way it was implemented was not. Um, and you, you've got to, I think, see that planning is, uh, you know, like I said, planning is not as useful as getting things happening and that creating a strategy, maybe a strategic plan is 50% of the recipe. The other 50%, how do you actually launch this and get people excited and activated around it is the much trickier 50%. And very few schools are willing to invest the time, energy and just the space to think about how we're going to actually get people doing stuff on the ground. I think in Nanjing, you've had several iterations, experiments of ways of doing that, and you've taken some brave steps in, in trying things no one else had tried. Some of them didn't work, and many of them have. Still today, so few schools even 
even ask the question, how are we going to implement it? They just assume that the old fashioned way of doing things will work. And of course, it's a bit of it's a bit of a deflation for the people in the school when they say, oh, right, this is just the same as it's been all before. Tell us about that aha moment when we came to student voice and student choice and burst the bubble. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because the student voice, we're now up in our second iteration, we're in student voice and student choice because we've realised that you can't make good choices unless you've learned how to use your voice. and they're, they're not the same thing. So you have to kind of separate them. But um, that one in a way was easier. You know, people are talking about advocacy, all sorts of different terminologies used around giving students more of a voice and, and a say in their learning. I think the one that was difficult was burst the bubble because it's kind of idiomatic and you're not mm -hmm. sure if it's going to translate into that idea. We found out that that concept does exist in Korean and in Chinese and people understand what that means. But actually just using the word and having very little explanation. We took a risk on that and I'm, I'm really happy we did. Can you remember, Ewan, when you said there's one more hour and you must finish? And Yeah, I had a plane to catch and it was, it was a necessity. But do we, I've actually just looked up the files um, from uh, January 10th, 2017, eight, uh, it was 6.23 in the morning, in the evening was the last time it was uh, looked at. And what we had done from all those thousands, I mean, thousands of post-it notes on the wall and um, interview transcripts from the design team, all this kind of thing. Um, the thing that people wanted to eliminate was the divide between us and them. And they were talking about you know, local staff and foreign staff um, between different student groups that there were, there was a sense of, they wanted to eliminate stress as well. But what the school wanted to create, I think a year or two years before had um, refined the mission and it was being an inclusive school. And I pushed you so hard on that because I've only ever worked in some of the toughest schools in the world where inclusion means any child can find their place in the community, whatever the cost. And it's a tough gig. It, um, it's tough financially. It's tough on staff. You have to be really skilled to be able to to work with that variance of of learner in the classroom. And Laurie and the rest of the leadership team said, "Yeah, that is that's what we're going to do." So defining what that meant actually came down to two things. One was there has to be some more student ownership of the whole experience. Social entrepreneurship was an interesting innovation at the time that came up. Very few people were doing that. You might have seen the odd kind of UWC type school doing social enterprise as part of their curriculum, but it wasn't widely adopted in schools. The idea of shared ownership um, of, of the learning experience. So negotiating, you know, why am I here? What are we trying to learn? Making, you know, making the, the class environment less on what the teachers planned for us and more on co-designing the project ahead or the, the learning that's happening. And then the, probably the most exciting part, create a culture of experimentation, this permission for uh, what we called enlightened trial and error. So let's try stuff and learn from it and then keep going. And admit none of that held together. So in that chart that we had drawn out, the words voice and choice were not there. And I think that it, be, it came as a suggestion. I remember I was sat on the couch as it came. It came as a suggestion, you know, it's, this is really about student voice and choice. And I didn't like 
the sound of it because it, is this just trying to rhyme to be smart or do you actually mean both of those things and I think that that, that little hunch I had maybe played out and that when you revisit it a second time you realise there's actually an order that we have to go in and to understand how to harness your voice before you to make good choices and that was maybe the wee glitch in my head around is this the right thing to do but at its heart it's a promise that the school was going to keep for learners that's that's all you want is you know, what's the promise that we want to keep for our learners the wording of it might change the methodology for achieving it might change it will as new staff come in but that promise is what we're going to try and, and realize for people what are the results that can come from a fully realized school strategy we've just had one of his other clients bcis beijing city international school we've just had from their board through all their principals their communications team, the, the whole lot that were here for an entire day and they, they were trying to understand what strategy impacts and of course what they realised is it, it impacts, if it works well it impacts everything. Of course we were trying to help them with the thing, they want to know what went well and we were trying to, you know, in the spirit of trial and error, we were trying to tell them the things that didn't go so well and, and, and to watch out for. But I guess the the thing that was probably the most difficult for them to understand is that we no longer have a strategy team and that so many of our pillars that we were building around are part of our culture and being and people don't really talk about it as in the same way as they used to because they see student voice and student choice and burst the bubble which is a much broader thing about moving out of your comfort zone and less based around China because we've moved so far with our diversity, equity and inclusion that actually we're in a different space now. So what would I say the outcome is? I would The outcome is it's had such a profound impact on our culture that it is our culture. And mm. if it's done properly, it's everything. It's absolutely everything that happens here. And we do have very basic rules at all the leadership levels in the school, including the school board. If anyone brings up anything that does not relate to our strategy and mission, we don't even spend a minute on it. We dump it because it's not who we are. I think we're a broad school, but still we know the things that we're not going to talk about. And it's just in the air. I, I yeah. think that that goes back to the, the first point I made, which is that people obsess about the planning part of strategic planning. Mm. We obsess about strategy. You genuinely eventually don't need to um, have plans mapped out. The planning is really reassuring at the start, ironically, for the people who are going to do none of the work for the school board. Um, it's the, the planning is almost like a safety net that they're never going to need to use. But it can take years for a leader uh, like Laurie and his team to have the courage, the confidence to say, you know what, this isn't actually what's important to us. What's important is retaining the promise and the focus that we've got, um, number one. And I think that you've done that beautifully well. Um, I think the documentation side of things needs done, though. It's almost the thinking out loud. So by putting things onto paper and being really careful about the vocabulary we use in those early days as you're trying to get approved by your, your board and get buy-in from your community, we went to the trouble of writing a book to explain it. The strategy itself fits on one half of one page, 
but then the stories and anecdotes about how actually a lot of this is ongoing and we're at, we're building on current successes and just focusing more. Those stories were designed to give um, confidence to the community that this is not brand new. This is about focus and amplifying what's all, all the good stuff that's already there. And of course, you don't need the documentation after a while because those stories are told like fairy tales from one person to the next. Oh, that we do it like this. This is how we do it. And it should be the case. I think that when the, the toughest point is when you have new people arriving, particularly in senior positions in an organisation who don't know the stories, it helps if you've got them written down somewhere or if you've got beautiful film, um, as you do, to explain <laughs> this is what a good one looks like because people need to understand what a good one looks like. And that's why Tom and the team from BCIS would have visited you, because they wanted to see what they're going to look like a few years down the road, a completely different promise that they're keeping for their community. And I would say if you've got, you'll have maybe, maybe we'll have some senior students listening to this from the school or some mums and dads, understanding what your promise is to yourself, like a personal strategy is something that you, I think every young person needs to do quite regularly. And I think what not just what am I into and um, what am I going to do years from now at university and as a career, but you need to think what's the promise I'm keeping myself? Do I want to be a happy person that um, does stuff that interests me? Is that my personal strategy, or do I want to do stuff that makes my parents proud? That was my strategy at school. It wasn't the best because you I ended up doing a law degree and look at me now, not a lawyer. Um, you you kind of work out what's the promise you want to keep for yourself not for other people. And the school strategy is similar. It's what's this? What's the promise we're keeping for ourselves as a community, not the promise we're keeping for other people. And this is really important when you end up with a new director or a new head of school, because all too often when, a, when it's just a common or garden strategic plan, and it's more the plan than a real strategy, there's no clear idea of what the promise of the school is. So a new director arrives, and they turf everything upside down and they bring in their promise, their personal promise for themselves and try to imprint it on a community. And I think that what you've done really well in Nanjing over years now, but what Tom and, and his team in BCIS have done well, what um, the many of the teams we work with all around the world, and we do this in 72 countries now, what all of the best ones do well is they encapsulate a sense of a promise that they're going to keep collectively. And the plan might not quite work out. The details might change. People come and go, but that promise survives and thrives. And you don't see it on a poster anywhere. It's all spoken. And as you say, Lloyd, that's kind of culture. It's it's spoken. It's always there. You don't need a poster or a document to describe it. And anyone new coming in knows before they go through the front door that that's the promise that they're there to help keep. And I think that that's, you know, it, that's a really healthy place to be. And then one day I hope that people say, look, we've, we've kept our promise, we realised it, now it's time for a fresh promise, a different one. And you go through that painful community process again to work out what comes next.